found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Let us pray tonight. Lord Jesus, for just a moment, God, as we, Lord, as we look over your word and God, we study the things that you placed on us, our heart earlier this week, God, uh, as we take the next, next passage here in the book of Acts. And Lord, uh, the fear of playing church tonight, Lord, may, may we realize that church is not a game. And Lord, it is not like anything else that we do in this world. Lord, it is your church. And God, there's a seriousness that has to come along with it. And so God, tonight, we just pray that you will give us the ability to preach your word and the way, God, that you have spoken it into our heart and life tonight. God, just taking what we're reading right here in this passage and God, just trying to expound on it the best we can. And God, we just want to pray that you'll bless this time that we have together tonight, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now tonight, as we look here quickly in chapter 5, we'll, it's a, not a real long sermon, but Ananias and Sapphire, well, they'll be forever known, forever known as the two people in the Bible that were more concerned with what people thought about them than what God thought about them. They'll forever go down in history. If you're in church whatsoever and you hear the names Ananias and Sapphire, the first thing that pops in your head was, oh yeah, they're the two people that God struck dead in the church, you know. And so that's what they'll go down for. And, and if you think about it, the kind of behavior that they demonstrate here, which if we're not careful, we'll demonstrate the same kind of behavior, but it's very dangerous and it's very destructive. This behavior is, and may it never be said of us, but we want to look at point number one, and that's the deception. Now notice what happens here. And, and uh, again, verse one gives us the name Ananias and Sapphira was his wife. They had a possession. They sold it. Now, the Bible doesn't really tell me if, I've, if it's in there I've overlooked it, but what this possession was. It could have been a piece of land because we'll look back just in just a moment at the end of chapter 4 there and we'll see that a piece of land was sold. So it could have been a piece of land. It could have been anything else. We don't know what the possession was, but they sold this possession. And verse 2 says, And he, we're assuming is Ananias, he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, here's the deception. The deception is that they lied about the amount of money that they were given to the church. That's what they... Now, I'll go ahead and clear this up. This is not about money, okay? This has nothing to do with money. Now, you may think that it does. I don't think it does at all. Now, we're talking about money here, and we're talking about giving a certain amount and holding a certain amount back and being deceptive about it. But the whole thing boils down to... The, pretty much what my Bible titles it, and this is what I believe. It's lying to the Holy Spirit of God. That's what this is about. It's about trying to be something or pretending to be something that you're not. And so we see here that these two people, they went and sold this possession. They had a certain amount of money, and, but they didn't bring it and give it all to the church, but they said that they did. So we see the deception that's going on here. Now, I have a life application study Bible. You may have one of these as well. And my footnote on this passage said this. It said, Their sin was lying to God and God's people, saying they gave the whole amount but holding back some for themselves and trying to make themselves appear more generous than they really were. That's what they were guilty of. They wanted everybody to ooh and ah over this great gift, this, this you know, great mighty work of God that they did here and how they blessed the church, which in reality was not the truth at all. They didn't do that. And so 
as we look here, what we want to note here as we're reading through this is first off, nobody told them to sell their possession. Nowhere. It was not being said in the church that you need to go sell everything you got and bring it to God. It, it, didn't, it didn't say that. Matter of fact, we're going to read Scripture just to say it. It's going to support that. And we've already read it, but we'll look at it again. So nobody told them to go sell it. It, it, was, it was their possession. God had not told them to give it to him. And, and Matthew Henry in his commentary says the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was that they were ambitious of being thought eminent disciples when they were not true disciples. Now, we think that probably where they got the idea to do what they did is at the latter half of chapter 4. Now, I know we skipped over verse 32 through 37. We may come back and revisit that later, but this week I didn't feel like we were supposed to be on that, so we skipped over it with the liberty of coming back when we want to. But notice if you read down through that, here's what you'll see. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed, in verse 32, chapter 4, were of one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of these things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joses, who was also named Barnabas, we'll see Barnabas later on in the book of Acts as we study through there. He ends up being a missionary partner there with Paul. But it says, who was named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Now, who, having a piece of land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, here's what we can assume from Scripture. Obviously, that was a pretty big deal. It made Scripture. You get what I'm saying? In other words, not everybody's name is mentioned as Luke is writing this down. But there must have been a pretty big deal to be made out of this. And we believe it ties in with chapter 5 simply because Luke... Uh, Dr. Luke here, he thought it was important that when he was writing this down that he add Barnabas, his name in there. Or Josie's, as he was formerly known, we'll know him more as Barnabas later on. And so what we're thinking is, as Luke is writing this, what we're thinking is that because probably a, lot, a big deal was made out of Barnabas that he took a piece of land, sold it, brought the money to the church. Barnabas, obviously, based on what we study in Scripture about Barnabas in the book of Acts, I would love to know a lot more about the guy than what the Bible tells us, but... Obviously, he, had, he was a man that had a heart to honor God because everywhere you see Barnabas, he was always being an encouragement. He was always helping. That's who he was. I mean, if it hadn't been for uh, Barnabas, John Mark wouldn't have got another chance. And, of course, we know that it's a good thing John Mark got another chance. He wrote one of the Gospels. So Barnabas was that guy. But because of probably the attention he got, Ananias Sapphira said, you know what, we want some of that attention. And, you know, you hate to say it, but that exists in church today. Amen? It does. Sometimes uh, people get jealous of other people getting attention, and it causes problems. That should never exist in church, but it does. It exists. And so we see it happening here in this church, in the book of Acts, in the New Testament church. So these guys get the idea, obviously, let's go out and sell this land. We'll bring part of the money up there, and we'll give it to the church. We just won't give it all, but yet we'll tell them what we did. And so everybody will ooh and all over us, and yet we'll still have some money in our pockets too. 
And so it's a win-win situation. Basically, Ananias and Sapphira was masquerading as something that they were not. Uh, made me think today, and I jotted this down as I have my notes. I didn't have it in there before, but uh, if you've never heard this song before, you should go home and listen to a Stained Glass Masquerade. It's an old song by Casting Crowns, and it talks about coming in and out of church and pretending to be something that we're not. The first verse talks about uh, the first verse, how we walk into church sometimes when we act like we have it all together, when in reality we don't. And, uh, you know, sometimes, talking about the song Testimony, sometimes people need to know that we don't have it all together, okay? Because that might be an encouragement to somebody else that doesn't have it all together. Uh, truthfully, I, you know, y'all seen that picture of that, that, that uh, zebra standing there with the stripes hanging off the back end of him, where it's just kind of unraveling off of him? That's me. That's how I live my life. I'm that, I'm that zebra. But we see here, as we take a, a deeper look here in, in this before we move into point number two, and that is this. Um, there are many times I'm afraid in church if we're not careful we will come across to all of those inside the church thinking about the stained glass masquerade we will come across sometimes to all of us in church or all of those in church at wherever we go to church at and um, we kind of come all across and give the impression that we've, we've given everything to God and when I say everything again we're not talking about money okay take the money completely out of it I'm thinking about Everything that's in your life, you've surrendered it to God. We want to act that way. In reality, sometimes we haven't done that at all. But we want everybody in church to think that way. Maybe we've got a secret sin that we dabble in every day throughout the week. We want to come to church and look like, man, I've got it all together. Look at me, super spiritual, squeak when I walk. You know, I, I mean, I got the T-shirt. I got it all. And we want to come across that way. When in reality, we know when we walk out of here, we're not living our life for God like we should. We're not living for God anything like we should, but we want to act like we are to this crowd. And can I tell you, that's deceptive. It's not deceptive to us. Listen, at the end of my life and the end of your life, you're not going to give an account to me. I'm not going to give an account to you. But the one who's keeping a record of all things, he knows all things, and we will give an account to him. So we can deceive each other all day long, but God is not deceived at all. And so... Tonight, if I could be brutally honest with all of us, is we need to come clean before God. And this is, this is all of us, okay? We need to come clean before God. And um, well, let me read this to you first, and we'll move on. Talking about the, uh, what God already knows about us, and He does. 1 Samuel 16, 7 tells us, remember this is when David was anointed the new king of Israel? Remember what God told Samuel? He said, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's good words and scary words all at the same time. We can walk in here. I think I've told you all this before, but I preached a sermon like this one time in a revival. If you've heard this before, I like you haven't. But I preached a revival one time, and I had a lot of fun doing this. It was like the third, fourth night of revival. And I actually borrowed this idea from, uh, from another pastor uh, up in Tennessee a long time ago. But when I went to church that night, I was dressed in my suit. But I found a tie that would match my suit that I wasn't 100% in love with. And to be honest with you, I'm not in love with any ties anymore, okay, because they choke me. I, 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 just, if I never, never have to wear another tie, I'm all right with that. But, uh, but I, I have them. But I took a tie that I wasn't in love with and I cut it off. 
but I cut it off to where it would be below the button of my, of my coat. I took, and I wore undershirts. You can probably tell I'm, I'm an undershirt guy. So I had a T-shirt that I wear. And so I took a T-shirt that, again, I wasn't in love with, that was getting kind of worn out. I went outside to an old boat trailer that I have, and I reached up under the tire, and I got some axle grease, and I smeared it on both of my arms. And I thought, better be careful. You know, that sounds like people think I'm wearing a, um, a manly cologne. It smells like axle grease. <laughs> it is. It's called axle. You know, that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, anyway. So I rubbed that on there, and I'm trying to think what else I did. I did something else. My wife just shakes her head up here. But anyway, um, I cut off my tie. I rubbed axle grease on me, and I did something else. But right now, I cannot recall what it was. There was something else. But anyway, so I came to church that night, and I preached the sermon all night knowing that I had axle grease on under my shirt, and, uh, and my tie cut off. So I got to the end of the sermon and I asked everybody, I said, is everybody like, you, you like the way I'm dressed tonight? And everybody said, yeah, yeah. So I unbuttoned my coat, and then they saw my tie was cut off, and they went to laughing. And it seemed like I might have even cut a sleeve off my shirt. I, I can't remember. It seemed like I might have cut a sleeve off my dress shirt. But then, so I started, I basically almost got undressed on stage, but it was, I still have my T-shirt on. But they begin to look, and they begin to laugh, and they go, you know, what in the world? And I told him, I said, but the thing is, I said, when I came in tonight, I impressed all of y'all. Y'all thought, look at him. He looks so nice in his suit, and, you know, he's got his tie on and his dress shirt. I said, but when I took the coat off, the, the tie's cut off, missing a sleeve on my shirt, got axle grease on my T-shirt. I said, underneath all of this, I'm a mess. I was an absolute mess. I said, but now I convinced you that I was okay. I said, but God was with me when I was putting all this together today. He knew what I looked like up under all this. I said, and truth be known, spiritually, he knows what we look like all the time. And I use that to make my point that when we come in and out of church, we may look a certain way on the outside. And I, I just, to be honest with you, I don't think we should just drag all of our garbage up here and dump it. But at the same time, it really don't matter whether we look like we got it all together on the outside or not. What really matters is what God thinks about me on the inside. Now, no, I'll never have it all together on the inside, but I keep striving for that. And the only way I keep from making a bigger mess out of my life than what I already have is by spending time with God. That's the only way I do it. And spend time in prayer and just pray, God, don't let me blow it. Don't let me mess it up, God. But God does see us for who we really are. Now, notice the discovery here in, in, in um, verses 3 and 4. This is point number 2, the discovery. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Verse 4 says, While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it? not in your own control. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. And this goes back to what we were saying a while ago. This is the verse that supports the fact that nobody told them to go sell it. God had not told them to sell it. Peter makes this point clear. Was it not yours? Well, it, it, well, I said a while ago we didn't know what it was, but it is a piece of land. I, I apologize for that. I, I misled you. But it was a piece of land. But so, so Peter was saying, was this not yours the whole time? You didn't have to sell it. It was yours to do what you wanted to, but the fact that you did sell it and you came up here and you not only deceived us, 
But the thing that you deceived mostly was the Holy Spirit of God. God revealed to us what you've done. If you think about that just for a second, Satan deceives a lot of people today, especially inside the church, of thinking that if we play church, we're okay. If I could say anything tonight, it would be this. And I, I mean, I spent hours praying over this and reading this sermon and, and this scripture. And, and if I could say anything tonight, I would say this. Church is nothing like anything we do in this world. Absolutely nothing. So we ought not to compare it to anything that we do in this world. It, not, it shouldn't be measured up. Listen, the church is something that God ordained. It's His. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's His. So we should never treat church like it's a club or an organization or a business. It belongs to Almighty God Himself. It is His. He put it into place. And the thing is, is we have stripped it down from what God intended it to be and made it something we're comfortable with. As I read that illustration to you this morning, most churches do look like clubs. We make everything comfortable for us. And church has never been about us, but it, we make it about us. It's about God. It's about reaching lost people. That's our existence. But when we start trying to make it something we're not, and I believe in all my heart, the, decept, the devil moves in and deceives a lot of us into thinking that we're okay by doing the things that we're doing. And the sad thing is, listen to this, I, I thought about Matthew. I, I don't think I gave this scripture to you, uh, Ron. <coughs> But in Matthew chapter 7, these are some of the scariest verses in the Bible to me. But Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father in heaven. Many will say to me in the day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those are scary verses. Because why? I'm afraid that there's a lot of people that walk in and out of churches all the time and they feel like they're okay because they're doing the stuff and they got their name on the roll. And, 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 and just, and gosh, we deceive them ourselves into making, making them think that everything's okay. We pat them on the back and tell them they're good with where they're at. In reality, church, none of us is good where we're at. Uh, you know, the church is dying. The church is not reaching people. Uh, it's declining across North America, and we just keep preaching feel-good sermons. And we've got to get to the point where we realize that church is not something to be taken lightly. It belongs to God. And what we're doing is that we're allowing the devil get in our church and deceiving us into thinking it is something that is not. But the discovery was here that they discovered, Peter discovered to Ananias, and we'll find out about Sapphire in just a minute. They were lying. They were lying. How many of us walk in and out of God's house every Sunday, probably, and we're lying to ourselves? We're lying to the people around us? We think we're lying to God, but we're not. And you know the sad thing is the devil has duped us into thinking that we're okay. Church in America, if we're anything, we're not okay. We're far from okay. Revival needs to break out in our churches. Repentance needs to happen. If, you know, and Ms. Valores, I'm going to quote you one more time because we had a good discussion this past Wednesday. Matter of fact, we'll be doing that again this Wednesday and I'll, I'll announce it again in just a moment. 
but you made a statement to me that has just resonated in my brain ever since you made it, and there's so much truth in it. And, and I'm probably not going to get it exactly right, but in so many words, you made this comment. You said, people, if they only realize how close we are to the return of God, they would quit playing games and quit playing church. I believe that to be true. Church, I mean, again, I, I'm not a prophet. Uh, I, I can read the Bible, but, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. But it, I'm going to say it again, maybe it'll wake somebody up. But the whole thing, you know, with everywhere you go, where we, we seem to be moving away from a cashless society and into the cards, uh, the plastic cards, church, that's prophesied. We're headed in the direction. You say, well, what does that mean? That means Jesus is coming back and it could be tomorrow. It could be tonight. Would you go? Well, praise the Lord. Y'all are excited about going. Amen. Some of y'all are like, well, I had grocery shopping planned for tomorrow. I need to go to the bank. I guess if he could come between 2 and 3, I'd be all right with that. You know, I'm, I'll be honest with you, man. I'm like the guy we just saw on the video a while ago. Man, I know where I'm going, and I'm ready to go now. I mean, if he wants to come back and take my family home, I'm ready. I know where my family's going. Uh, all my children have, have made a profession of faith in uh, Jesus Christ. And so... I'm good. Now, at the same time, my heart hurts because I know a lot of people that wouldn't go. Now, for that, I pray God holds on. But church, at some point, he's coming back. I shared this with the deacons this morning, but I didn't share it with you guys this morning. But uh, Friday, I had the opportunity to go out and, and uh, do the FCA at the elementary school there in Nahuna. And we had uh, a student get saved Friday morning, a fifth grader. That makes nine elementary kids or students on this school year at that school that has come and got saved on at the FCA. And, what's, and, and, you know, and I told them, and I'll tell you guys, there's no coercion involved. And this is what's so cool about it. You know God's doing something because I got up there and I led on, well, the night before, which was Tuesday, was a full moon night. And I led those kids that morning, those students, on what does the moon do? It reflects the light of the sun. And that was my passage. I, I found scripture that says we are the light of the world, you know, and we don't have that light in us, but the light of Jesus shines through us. We're reflecting the light of Jesus. And I thought that would be a cool lesson. And so I did. I did it. About 100 students in there had to stop in the middle of it and get on to them for talking. Not all of them, just some of them. It was a crowd. Connie says calls it a full moon. She teaches school. She says the full moon makes kids that crazy. But anyway, but it was just a few up there had to stop and say, hey, look, you know, because we were talking about how can you let your light shine? I had a microphone, that's why I did this, but I said, you know, that was the reason, you know, y'all go, what does that mean? I was holding a microphone, I was, you know, I was in the moment, but, uh, but I remember asking them, I said, how can you let your light shine? And these guys were talking, and I, had to, I said, hey, y'all need to be quiet, that's not letting your light shine for Jesus, if you're being, you're being rude. And so we talked about that, but when I got done, honestly, this is how I felt after, but it just goes to prove that there's power in the Word of God. That God doesn't need you and I to elaborate at all. All we need to do is open our mouths, share our testimonies, let Scripture do what it's going to do, and God can do plenty without us, I promise you. And I remember getting through with the devotion that morning, handing Connie the microphone. I walked across the gym. If you've ever been in the old Nahanna gym, I walked across the gym and sat down on the bottom bleacher and just sat there waiting on Connie to get through talking to the students so when she dismissed them, I could tell her bye and leave. And that was, that was it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm actually thinking this to myself. God, that was horrible. That was horrible. You know, I ain't talked to kids in so long I forgot how to do it. That was absolutely horrible. I had to get on to them in the middle of it. What kind of, you know, I was, I was having this conversation with myself. And I noticed when Connie prayed for them and dismissed them, 
they went out, and I saw this little boy come over to Connie, a fifth grader. Uh, and, and, and I saw her talking to him, and the next thing I know, she turns and looks at me and says, and we went over there, and of course the announcement has started all over uh, already, and he was sitting on the bottom row, and I remember getting down on my knees so I could be kind of like level with him and, and face to face, and I said, uh, he told me what his name was, and I asked him, I said, no, what, what is it you want to do? Now, Connie had already told me, but I still wanted to hear from him. And I said, what is it you want to do? Now, this was priceless to me because I thought this is what he said, but I wasn't sure until I got him in a quieter place for him. He said, you were talking this morning and talking about Jesus, and I just need me some Jesus. That's exactly how he said it. I just need me some Jesus. And I thought, man, that, and I told, told the deacons, I said, that would be a good T-shirt. I need me some Jesus. So, um, but I leaned over, and, and I was, you know, wanting to be sure. I leaned over. I said, I said, buddy, what makes you think you want to be saved? I said, well, you know, why do you want to be saved? And when I did, man, tears just started pouring off that little boy's face. And I thought, man, bless his heart. And about that time, one of the coaches came walking by, and he could tell what we were doing. And the announcements were so loud, we couldn't hardly hear a thing. And, um, and he looked and said, y'all can use the office if y'all need to. So we went down to the concession end of the gym and went in his office and closed the door so we could hear. Me and Connie and this little boy went in there and sat down and, and uh, we began to talk to him and I began to tell him what it means to be saved and so did Miss Connie. And, 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 I, and, I, and I told uh, the deacons this this morning, but I'll, I'll tell you what I told him. As I, I, I told him, I said, brother, I'm of the, I'm of the uh, conviction and the opinion that when you started walking down those bleachers and you started coming to us and you told us you want to be saved, I said, I'm convinced God already done something in your life. I said, but we want to, we'll just talk about it so we make sure you understand what you're doing. But, uh, but he prayed and he asked Jesus to come into his uh, life to forgive him of his sins and to save him. And I told Connie later on, I said, you know what? I said, there is nine students who have given their heart to Jesus this year. And at the beginning of the year, she felt like God was moving her to take over the FCA. But I remember her saying, I don't know how to do that. I, I'm not sure I can do that. And the, I know I'm chasing rabbits here, but anyway. And, and so I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord has used her to do that. And there's nothing any sweeter than, and than leading a fifth grader to the Lord with your wife. That was pretty sweet. But I told her later on, I said, do you realize that God is doing a bigger work right now in the Nahuna Elementary School than in most churches in Brantley County? I mean, let that sink in just for a second. Let that just sink in. I'm convinced that there are people out there that want the truth. They want to hear the gospel. I think, I think that the Lord is doing a mighty work, but the church has got to open its mouth. The church has got to quit playing games. We've got to quit going through all the motions and getting hung up on things that don't matter and just be what God intended for us to be, and that's the church. That's what God taught us to. But these guys here, listen, they were being deceptive. We see the discovery that took place. And now we will notice the, and the third point here, the deaths. Let's notice the deaths here. We're going to read verse 5 all the way down through verse 11. It says here, then Ananias, hearing these things, or hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Now, hold on to that thought. Verse 6 says, and the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now, the Bible tells us in verse 7, now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Her husband was dead, and she didn't even know it. 
And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. Peter was giving her a chance to come clean. He was like, you know, he didn't, didn't disclose anything. He just asked her, Tell me what you did. And, and the Bible tells us that she lied. Verse 9 says, Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. This is the second time. This is why I told you to note that in verse 5. This is the second time that this shows up in this passage. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Two times that shows up. Well, you know, I'm not trying to make light of this situation at all, so please don't think that I am. But if people started falling out in here, don't you think fear would come upon some of us? I thought that's what had happened to Brother David the other day. I'm not going to... When he fell out, I thought, praise the Lord, what did he do? You know, no, I, I didn't. I, <laughs> I didn't think that at all. Not at all. But now, but now think about it. I mean, it's not comical, but this two people die, and they carry them outside and bury them. The Bible says bury them beside each other. Within a three-hour period, two people lied to the Holy Spirit of God. I would imagine that great fear came upon all the church. I would think so. But, you know, as I read that this week, and I just sit there and I thought, Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy, Lord. Because what if people started getting struck dead as they walked into God's house because we were trying to deceive the Holy Spirit? And we are. Listen, we do it all the time. Thank the Lord none of us has fell out dead. But, I, you know, but if somebody fell out dead, revival might happen. I don't know. I don't want anybody to die. But I'm saying you need to understand that when fear came upon the church, this is a place we need to get back to. Let that sink in. I don't want anybody to die. But we have lost the fear and reverence of who God is and the fear and reverence of what the church stands for. We've lost that. We are not that place anymore. We are not those people anymore, which is why we're in the shape that we're in as far as North America, as I mentioned to you this morning, 60% of all churches are either plateaued or dying. We are their church. The only way we get this fear and respect of God back is for you and I, and I know I sound like a broke record, but it is the truth. The Bible tells us is for us to fall on our faces before a holy God and say, God, please forgive me. Lord, please forgive me of the thing that I have made, my relationship with you. Forgive me of how I have uh, messed up church, God, and I have made it into something about me, and I've made it uh, uh, like a club or, or a place where I just gather with my friends. No doubt this is a good place to gather with fellow Christians, and yes, without a doubt, we need each other to be encouraged, but it is so much more than what we have made it. So much more. Matter of fact, I'll close you with a couple of reference scriptures here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, notice what Paul said to the Philippian church there. He said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. This is where John, on the Isle of Patmos, 
as he's there and, and Jesus shows up to him and he begins to speak to him and, t and show him things, things that he would have write down. Notice what John said in verse 17, Revelation 1. He said, and when I saw him, him being Jesus, he said, I fell at his feet as dead. Why? Because he stood in the presence of Jesus. Now you can say, well, Brother Vance, he'd been around Jesus for three and a half minutes. That was when he was in his earthly form. Now he saw him in his glorified form. He was holy. He's always been holy. But he was standing in the presence of God. And when we're in the presence of God, whether it be here, there, wherever, we should always come into his presence in the humbleness and realizing he's God and I'm not. He is God and I am not. How dare we try to bring God down on our level? Because he's never been on our level. He will never be on our level. If anything, we should be aspiring to be as holy as we could possibly be, to be as much like him as we can be, but not the other way around. But sometimes we bring God down to our level, and we want him to be okay with the mess that we're living in. And God's going, I am not okay with the mess that you're living in. I'm not okay with the mess that you've made out of, of, of your life as Christianity goes and how you're operating the church. I'm not okay with that. We should fall as dead men at the feet of God because we realize he's holy. Matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5 tells us that when Isaiah found himself there, what did he say when he saw, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up? The train of his, of his robe filled the temple there. What did he say? Woe is me. He said, woe is me for I am undone, which means destroyed or cut off. He said, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, when he saw, that was, he saw the Lord Jesus sitting there on his throne. And when he came into his presence, and I, I tell you what, I wasn't planning on doing this, but man, let's do it. Let's do it. Go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah real quick. Like I, I may have preached this since I've been here, but this is just good stuff. Every day of the week and twice on Sunday, it's just good stuff. Notice what Isaiah said here. I'm just going to read you a couple of verses here. We'll start in, in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah, I mean Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We can read about that over in Revelation as well. It says, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with, his, with the tongs from off the altar, or from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. 
Now I'm not going to preach this. I'm leading up to something here in verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. Man! You know what Isaiah was doing? When Isaiah found himself in the presence of the Lord, realizing how holy he was, and, and, and listen, as the angel flew around there, holy, holy, holy. The, the, the book of Revelation tells us that goes on nonstop around the throne of God. That the angels are worshiping. Listen, if there's that kind of worship going on in heaven, what kind of worship should be going on in the life of Vance Cauley? I should be worshiping him every chance I get. But when he found himself in the midst of the Lord and he saw how whole he was. And man, I, and I can't help but when I read this, I, I see Isaiah experiencing grace and mercy here. I see it being poured out on him. Again, it's a whole other sermon. But when, when he had come into the presence of the Lord, he had been bestowed upon as he had the, the grace and the mercy. The angel saying what he said. What did Isaiah get up when, when it says, uh, and this is, this is good here, uh, when it says, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Man, there is a, there is a uh, support for the Trinity. The Lord didn't say, who will go for me? He said, who will go for us? God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, all equal God. There's a representation of it right there. Of who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Church, hear me, and I'm closing with this thought. If we spend time with God like we're supposed to, if we'll find ourselves in the presence of God and we realize how holy God is, it's going to deepen our walk with Him because we're going to realize just how holy He is and how holy we're not. We're anything but holy. Uh, it will actually amaze you. If you spend enough time with God, you'll be amazed at God. You'll even use me to do anything. But yet you do. But when you spend time with God realizing how holy He is, what He's forgiven you of, what He's done in your life, nobody will have to beg you to do anything for God because you'll jump up and say, God, here I am, send me. God, I, I, I'll do it, Lord. What do you want me to do, God? You want me to hold the door? I'll hold the door. God, you want me to get a cup of water for the preacher every Sunday? God, I'll do it. God, you want me to preach? You want me to teach the youth? You want me to teach the children? God, what do you want me to do? Because, God, I just want to do something for you. And it ain't about doing stuff. But I promise you, when you realize what God has given you, you want to give something back. You can't help it. Because you realize just how holy God is. And He doesn't need us. And yet, He chooses to use us. One of life's biggest mysteries, as far as I'm concerned. One of the Bible's biggest mysteries, why he would use us of all the things that he could use, and yet he chooses to. So this morning, I think if we would honestly, and, and again, when I say this, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm talking to me, okay? This, every sermon I've ever preached was to me before it was to anybody else. But we all flirt with playing playing church, every one of us, because it's easy to do that. It's easy to get caught up in the motions and to just, and, and listen, I've, I've shared y'all my testimony with y'all before about Sundays rolling into Sundays and Wednesdays rolling into Wednesdays and, and just doing the stuff. I don't ever want to go there again. I don't ever want to be in that place. I want my walk with God to be fresh every day. I, I want to come before him every day and say, God, I want you to pour out something new in my life today. And I know you do too, but if we're not careful, we'll fall into the dangers of playing church. God, may, uh, church, may we not be that before a holy God. May we not be guilty of doing that. And the only way to not be guilty of doing that is to find yourself in the presence of God every day and asking Him to renew you and to do a work in your life. And He'll do it. So as the musicians are coming tonight, we get ready to have our invitation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we're so thankful, Lord, for who you are. 
And God, the fact that you choose to use us, mind-boggling. Lord, of all the things that you could use to get your message out, you use imperfect people as us. But God, I, I, I like Isaiah because, Lord, I can relate. Lord, there are days that I'm in your presence and... And Lord, I just honestly have those moments when I just think, God, you are so good. Lord, I see all the times in my life that I have messed it up. And I feel like Isaiah, woe is me. Lord, I, I'm not even deserving to talk to you today. And yet I get to. And God, you show up in my life daily and you speak into my life and you show me things. God, you encourage me and you strengthen me. God, you use me. And God, it just makes me want to minister that much more. Why? Because I want people to have what I have. And Lord, I pray that tonight for our church, God, for those at home, for those that are in the building, Lord, may we not continue to make church what it's not supposed to be. God, church is made up of imperfect people just desiring a closer walk with you. God, wanting to just live our lives for you, God, so that when we get up out of these seats and we go back out, God, we're going to be so fired up and so pumped up as the church of God that we're going to go out and want to share that message with lost people so they can have what we have. Work tonight, I pray. God, work in our heart and lives. Convict us of our sins, Lord. Give us the strength to turn away from those things and to walk in the direction that we are supposed to be walking in. So, Lord, tonight I pray that this invitation would bring you the honor and glory that you deserve. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand tonight.